The Wiz Kids had won it, Bobby Thompson had done it, and Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. All right, everybody, welcome back to Baseball History 101. As always, I'm Patrick DeVault, joined by my esteemed colleague, Matthew Carter. Hello. On today's episode, we're going to talk about a player we've been wanting to discuss for a while and just haven't really found the right time to do him. Um, it's going to be Roberto Clemente. The great one. Mm-hmm. He's a 15-time All-Star, two-time World Series champion, National League MVP, World Series MVP, 12-time Gold Clover, four-time batting champion, He's retired. His number twenty-one is retired in Pittsburgh. He's in the Pirates Hall of Fame. He's in the Nash- National Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, he's got a museum after. He's got his own museum in Pittsburgh. I mean, just decorated one of the best players ever. He's got a humanitarian award, the Clemente, Roberto Clemente Award, named after him. Um, it's one of those all-time cats. Uh, he was a Puerto Rican ball player. Played eighteen seasons, all for the Pirates. Um, he passed away in 1973 or 1972 on um, New Year's Eve and was inducted into the Hall of Fame um, in 1973. Um, yeah, they, guess, they waived the. Uh, yeah, they changed the eligibility rules, correct? To where if you died, see the six month eligibility window instead of five years if yeah. it was for posthumous. Yeah, they waived it for him because, you know, the way he died and what he was doing, what he was going to do when he died, you know, it's like, well, it doesn't feel right to make him wait five years. You know? Yeah. And if you'll give us about 40, 45 minutes, we'll get to all of that part of the story. Yeah. Um, he was born in Barrio San Antonio, Carolina, Puerto Rico, um, to Melchor Clemente and Luisa Walker. He was the youngest of seven. During his childhood, his father worked as a foreman for sugarcane crops located in the menu in the municipality in the northeastern part of the island. And because the family's resources were limited, he and his brothers worked alongside his father in the field, loading and unloading trucks. As a youth, he was a track and field star and an Olympic hopeful before deciding to turn his attention to baseball. Um, He really showed interest in baseball early on in his life and often played against neighboring barrios. He attended Julio Vizcarondo Coronado High School in uh, Carolina, which was the county in Puerto Rico. Um, during his first year in high school, he was recruited by Roberto Marin to play softball with the Seo Rojo team after he was seen playing baseball in Barrio San Antonio. He was with the team two years as a shortstop. He joined Puerto Rico's amateur league when he was 16 years old, playing for the Ferdinand Juncos, which represented the municipality of Juncos. Um, his pro career began at 18 when he accepted a contract from Padrin Zoria um, with Kangaroos de Centurs, the Crabbers, this is what that translation is. That's a winter league team and a franchise of the Puerto Rican Professional Baseball League. Mm-hmm. Um, he signed with the team on October 9th, 1952. He was a bench player during his first season, but was promoted to the starting lineup the following season, where he hit 288 as the team's leadoff hitter. While he was playing in the LBPPR, the Brooklyn Dodgers offered him a contract with one of the team's AAA affiliates. Yep, the... 
Montreal uh, Royals. Mm-hmm. He signed with the Dodgers in February 19, 1954. And that's who he played for. I'll let you take it over from that. Okay, Matt. Yep. So he played with the Montreal Royals. And, uh, you know, and of course, moving to Montreal, you're, they speak, we all know this, they speak French in Montreal. And <laughs> poor Berto Clemente, you know, he's going to Montreal, he's going to deal with the people speaking French and being super cold because it's Canada. But luckily, Clemente received assistance from bilingual teammates such as infielder Chico Fernandez and pitchers Tommy Lasorda and Joe Black. And, you know, and so Joe Black, the pitcher, was the original talent, sorry, original target of the Pittsburgh Pirates' June 1st, 1954 scouting trip to Richmond, Virginia, because the Montreal Royals were playing the Richmond, I think they were the Virginians then. They weren't the Richmond Braves, they were the Virginians at that time, and they were both in the AAA uh, International League. And Clyde Sukforth, the scout who scouted Jackie Robinson back in the 40s, and who was a pitching coach at the time, the mission's focus was shifted when Sukforth witnessed Clemente's throwing and batting prowess in pregame drills. So, you know, picture this. They're at Parker Field in Richmond, Virginia, before a, you know, a Royals and a Virginians game, Clyde Sukforth, you know, he's like, you know, I'm, we're looking on Joe Black. We, we should try to get Joe Black, like in a, you know, but then they're like, whoa, whoa, Clemente, whoa, who's this? Who's this Roberto Clemente guy? You know, eighteen year, I think no, he was almost eighteen at the time. He was only seventeen. He'd be eighteen. No, 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 I'm sorry, he was nineteen. He was gonna be twenty that year, and he's just, you know. In pre-grade drills, he's just impressing everybody. But Clemente barely played during Sukeforth's three-day visit, you know. And with his with his suspicions further aroused by manager Max Macon's dismissive remarks, like you know, the, the his manager in Montreal wasn't impressed with Clemente. Like you want that guy instead of Joe Black, and the fact that Clemente took bang practice with the pitchers rather than his fellow position players. Sifforth made inquiries and soon as ascertained Clemente's status as an unprotected bonus baby. So, right, so a bonus baby yeah. for y'all at home. The bonus rules were really instituted by MLB in 1947, preventing teams from assigning certain players to farm teams. It stipulated that when a major league team signed a player to a contract in excess of $4,000 or $48,500 in today's dollars, they were required to keep that player on their 25-man active roster for two full seasons. And any team that failed to comply with the rule lost the rights to that player's contract, and then the player was exposed to the waiver wire. And once they were with the team for uh, two full seasons, he could be assigned to a farm team without repercussions. Mm-hmm. And um, it was finally abolished in 1965. Yeah, but it was a thing back in 54. The manager had been instructed to use Clemente sparingly, you know, which the manager acknowledged that almost 12 years later. And he, the manager said, we tried to sneak him through the draft, but it didn't work. <laughs> As Sukeforth, who told Pirates beat writer Les Beardman, I knew that he'd be our first draft choice. I mean, Sukeforth, he was a major league pitcher in the 20s and 30s, but his real talent was scouting because the man scouted Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente. I mean, you have those two on your calling card as a scout. You should be you should be in the Scout Hall of Fame for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, but... um. You know, before leaving Richmond, 
Super 4 for Cult. I told manager Max Macon to take good care of our boy and see if that he didn't get hurt. Which Macon took Super 4 to his word. Scarcely had the Pirate Scout departed when on June 4th, Clemente started his first game in over a month. You know, in the course of two days and three games, which he started two of them, Clemente amassed 10 hits, two more than the previous three games combined. 10 at bats, sorry, I'm sorry. Amassed 10 at bats, which were two more than the pre- previous 30 games combined. Yet, just as abruptly, the moment was over when he was back to riding the bench, this time for almost two months. I mean, poor, poor Roberto, just, you know, he's trying to make good and they keep benching him. I mean, you know. Yeah, they're trying to manipulate his draft eligibility. Right. Clemente's extra inning walk off home run on July 25th, 1954 which was his first home run in his North American baseball career, was hit in his first at bat entering the game as a defensive replacement. Perhaps prompted by Sukhor's visit, you know, Clemente's appearance ended a nearly two long two month long drought starting on June sixth. You know, seventeen appearances, six starts, twenty four bats, sixty games. You know, I mean from this point forward, Clemente's playing time increased after that walk off home run. Right, and he started every subsequent game against left-handed starting pitching, which I guess they're, I guess they're platooning. Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing. Finishing the season with a batting average of two fifty-seven and eighty-seven games, so it's a decent average. You know, not great, but not terrible, not too bad. For a guy that's not playing every day, I think it's pretty decent. Right, you know, and Clemente would complement his his walk-off home run on twenty-fifth with another walk-off on September fifth as well as a game-ending outfield assist on August 18th, which was his 20th birthday. He cut down a potential tying run at the plate, showing off his arm because this is going to be his home. Other than his hitting, that's his calling card, is throwing people out at home plate. That's what he did best, and he showed that off in, in Montreal. As promised, the Pirates made Clemente their first selection of the Rule 5 draft that took place in November 22, 1954. So the Pirates were like, I want this guy. And they got him. They got their man. And man, and this started a great long career for major league career for Roberto Clemente. You know. But here's the thing though. We know him as number twenty one. But all but like the first seven weeks of his major league career, you know how rookies are. They get different numbers. And so his first ten his first few weeks he wore number thirteen. Which was his uh, teammate Earl Smith's number? Because, because he was wearing thirteen because Earl Smith and Steve was wearing number twenty-one, but it was later reassigned to Clemente, so that was great. And of course, even you know, there's you know he starts in the fit. I, I don't even know where to begin. But also, like as well as playing Major League Baseball with the Pirates, even the offseason for times in the offseason, he still played. For the Santurce Crabbers, his old his old team in the Puerto Rican League, as well as the Criollos de Caguas and the San Juan Senadores in the Puerto Rican Baseball Winter League, and he was considered a star because, well, you know, I mean, he, he, even though he's even though he's a major league, he still kept in shape in the offseason by playing Winter League baseball, mm-hmm. you know, and not only that, he joined the Marine Corps in 1958, so he was a Marine. And he served a six-month after duty commitment in Paris Island, South Carolina, Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, and Washington, D.C. And, you know, Clemente received recruit training 
with Platoon 346 of the 3rd Recruit Battalion, and the rigorous Marine Corps training programs helped Clemente physically. He added strength by gaining 10 pounds and said his back troubles, which was causing an accident in 54, had disappeared. And he was a, fir- he was a private first class in the Marine Corps until September 1964. So the man served, you know, because as, as we all know, Puerto Rico is a, a U.S. territory. So, you know, you can serve as, as a being a part of that territory. You can serve in the, in the armed forces of the U.S. So that's cool. But, you know, the 50s, right? The pirates were sucking in the 50s. They were just not good. So Clemente, for the most part, was playing on terrible teams. But he made his debut on with the Pirates on April 17, 1955, in the first game of a doubleheader against the Brooklyn Dodgers, the team that first signed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, you know, he's going through, you know, it was, even in the 50s, it was hard to be a black player in Major League Baseball. It was double hard if you were black and Hispanic. And he had to deal with racial ethnic tensions and sniping with the local media and teammates because, you know, the media and like in um, baseball card companies would shorten his name from Roberto to Bob or Bobby. And he hated that. Could not stand that. So no, don't call me that. Call me Roberto, which I can understand on a baseball card. It's hard to fit all that on there, but like, yeah. And he was at a double disadvantage because he was a Latin player and a Caribbean, Latin American and Caribbean player. And his first language was Spanish, but folks from that part of the world are also from partially African descent. Mm-hmm. So he had a double-edged sword he had to fight against there. Yeah. It's um, just, it's sad, man. Yeah. And the year before he got to the Pirates, the Pirates had hired Kurt Roberts, their first African-American player. And they were the fifth team in the NL and ninth in Major League Baseball to do so, seven years after Jackie broke the cover there. Mm-hmm. And when he arrived in Pittsburgh, uh, Roberts befriended and helped him adjust to life in the Major League as well as around Pittsburgh. Which also, it helps that in the 50s, the early 50s, Branch Rickey, who integrated the Dodgers with Jackie Robinson, at that time was the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. So that helped them integrate at that time with Kurt Roberts. So that helped. But, you know, his rookie season, he had to sit out several games because of that lower back injury the year before, which was caused by a speeding drunk driver ramming into his car at an intersection. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. But he finished his rookie season with a 255 average, even though he had trouble hitting certain type of pitches. And of course, you know his defensive skills were still on point because Rivera Clemente can play some defense. I mean, let's be real; this man can throw you out in a heartbeat. <laughs> but um, you know, 56, he hit the only documented walk off. Inside the park, Grand Slam in modern Major League Baseball play. Dude, walk off. And of course, when you're playing at Forbes Field, graveyard. It's a graveyard. It, there's a reason why no pitcher had thrown a no hitter at Forbes Field ever, because it's so deep. The outfield, the outfield walls were so deep. Like I visited the site back in 2019. Dead center field was like 450 something feet. From home plate and like you know, right center was like four thirty six. You know, it's easy for you to hit inside the park home run. So that doesn't and with Clemente's speed because the man can run like crazy. You know, he could. 
it made it made perfect sense for him to hit an inside the park grand slam. And you know, Pittsburgh-based sports writer John Stegerwald said that the home run may have been done only once in, in the history of baseball. But again, you'll have to go really back to find that maybe the eighteen hundreds, right? You know, when ballparks like that were also you know of deep, were really deep. And uh, uh, spring of 1959, he was uh, still fulfilling his Marine Corps reserve duty and set to be released from Camp Lejeune until April 4th. A Pennsylvania State Senator John M. Walker w- wrote to U.S. Senator Hugh Scott requesting an early release on March 4th, a month early, so he could join the team for spring training. And there's a picture of that letter if you want to find it. Um, it's, it was on the, I know it's on his Wikipedia page. It says the Pittsburgh Pirates baseball team have, has a slight military problem, which they would like to have me present to you for your consideration and advice. Their star right fielder, Roberto Clemente, is in the Marine Corps at Camp Lejeune. His discharge is set for April 4th, 1959. They are wondering if it would be possible for his separation to be accelerated so that he could be released from service on March 4th. This would give him time to join the squad for spring training. I have an impression that those last 30 days are not that important to the Marine Corps, but they're really important to the club. You know, we are bending every effort here in Western Pennsylvania to cooperate with the club in the hopes that we will have the World Series in Pittsburgh as part of our bicentennial celebration. Clemente is an important figure in the success of the team effort, and this would be a 10 strike for you if you can successfully negotiate it. Sincerely yours, John N. Walker. That's kind of wild. That is wild, man. Hey, can we get him a month early just so we can win some ball games? <laughs> oh man! But um, and I didn't see if that actually happened or not. But early in the 1960 season, Clemente led the league with a 3.53 average and 14 extra base hits and 25 RBIs, um, recorded in May alone, and that resulted in his selection of the National League's Player of the Month. His batting average remained above 300 mark throughout the course of the campaign. On August 5th at Forbes Field, Clemente crashed into the right foot wall while making a pivotal play, depriving San Francisco's Willie Mays of a leadoff extra base hit in the game eventually won by Pittsburgh 1-0. The resulting injury necessitated five stitches to the chin and a five-game layoff for Clemente. While the catch itself was described by Giants beat writer Bob Stevens as ranking with the greatest of all time as well as one of the most frightening to watch and painful to make. Yeah, you, you know, back then, now, nowadays, the outfield walls in both major and minor league parks, even college, are padded, right? Mm-hmm. But force field, there's no padding on that outfield wall. It's brick. You're right. gonna hit, you hit that wall. Oof, not not good. But um, 1960 was a beautiful year for the Pirates. They won the National League pennant with a 95-59 record. They you know, and then in a frilling seven-game World Series against the Yankees, which the Yankees just outscored them, through uh, you know outscored them throughout the series, just beat them up in some games. Pirates won ten to nine on a walk-off home run in Game Seven from Bill Mazeroski. That gets replayed every time the World Series gets brought up. They'll play they'll play that home run all the time. But Clemente himself, he did well. You know, he batted three ten in the series. And he had hit at least a hit, one hit in every game. You know, in the season he had three fourteen with sixteen home runs, and he earned, he earned his first All Star. This was also the year he made his first All Star team in nineteen sixty one in nineteen sixty, and he replaced Hank Aaron in right field during the seven eight innings. In the second, okay, so he he made the second All Star game, 
you got you, in the second All Star game that was held because we talked in the first episode. You know, nineteen sixty had two All Star games, mm-hmm. which you know that's something we'll from fifty nine to nineteen sixty two. Yeah, fifty nine to sixty two, they had two All Star games a year, and so you know, and baseball Hall of Famer and Pirates batting coach at the time, George Sisler, gave Clemente some advice during the spring training sixty one. Yeah, when George Sisler, who hit, you know, who had a 400 bang average in a couple seasons, you know, when he gives you advice, you listen. <laughs> Clemente tried to modify his batting technique by using a heavier bat to slow the speed of his swing. And during the 61 season, Clemente was named the starting right fielder for the first of the two All-Star games. He went two for four that game with, with a triple on his first at bat. And he scored the team's first run, and they drove in a second with a sack fly. And you know, and and during that game, they were down four to three in the tenth inning to the American League. And him and Hank Aaron, William Azerfain, and Robinson, they they engineered a comfort from behind five to four victory, with Clemente hitting a walk off single after after off of baseball Hall of Famer and famed knuckleball pitcher Hoyt Wilhelm. And then in the second All-Star game, he started right through again, and he went over two, flying out and grabbing out. And he received his first Gold Glove Award. You know, because then, the, back then, the Gold Glove was a thing. Right. Um, following 1961, he traveled to Puerto Rico along with Orlando Cepeda, who was a native of Ponce. When both players arrived, they were received by 18,000 people. Um, <laughs> he was also involved in managing the Senadores de San Juan, the Puerto Rican League, as well as playing with the team during the Major League offseason. During the course of the Winter League, he injured his thigh while doing some work at home, but wanted to participate in the league's all-star game. He pinch hit and got a single, and uh, he experienced a complication of injury as a result and had to go into surgery shortly after being carried off the playing field. Um, because of this, he, he played with a limited role with the Pirates the first half of 65, during which he batted two fifty seven, um, and then returned to the – when he, he was inactive for many games when he moved to – when he returned to the regular starting lineup, he got hits in 33 out of 34, and his batting average skyrocketed to three forty. And um, he participated as a pinch hitter and replaced Willie Stargell in the left field at the, at the All-Star game on July 15th. Um, he was an All-Star every season he played in the 60s other than 68. Um, the only year in his career after 1959 when he failed to hit 300. And a gold glove winner for each of his final 12 seasons beginning in 1961. Um, he was a four-time batting, you know, batting title winner, 61, 64, 65, and 67. And he won the league's MVP award in 1966. Hitting 317 with a career high 29 home runs and 119 RBIs. In 1967, Clemente registered a career high 357 average, hitting 23 home runs and batting in 110. Following that season, in an informal poll conducted by Sport Magazine at baseball's winter meetings, a plurality of Major League GMs declared Clemente the best player in baseball today, edging out AL Triple Crown winner Carl Yastrzemski by a margin of 8 to 6, with one vote each going to Hank Aaron, Bob Gibson, Bill Freeman, and Ron Santo. Amazing. And um, that gets us into 1970. It was the last one that the Pirates played at Forbes Field before moving to Three Rivers. Yep. And um, for Clemente, abandoning the stadium was an emotional situation. The Pirates' final game at Forbes Field occurred on June 20, 1970. Mm-hmm. And that day, Clemente said it was hard to play in a different field, saying, I spent half my life there. Mm-hmm. The night of July 24, 1970, was declared Roberto Clemente night. And on this day, several Puerto Rican fans traveled to Three Rivers Stadium and cheered Clemente while wearing traditional Puerto Rican attire. 
A ceremony to honor Clemente also took place, during which he received a scroll with 300,000 signatures compiled in Puerto Rico, and several thousands of dollars were donated to charity work following his request. Nice. So he was always about giving back, especially to his community where he was raised. Absolutely. Um, and he had a great season in the 70s. He hit 352. They won the East, but were eliminated by the Reds. Um, during the offseason, he experienced some tense situations while he was working as a manager of the Senadors, and when his father uh, experienced medical problems and underwent surgery. Yeah. In 1971, the Pirates again won the NL East, um, defeating the Giants in four games to win the NL pennant, facing the Orioles in the World Series. And uh, Baltimore had won 101, third season in a row with 100-plus wins. And uh, they swept the American League Championship Series, both for the third consecutive year. And we're defending World Series champions. The Orioles won the first two games in the series, but Pittsburgh won the championship in seven. This marked the second occasion that Clemente helped win a World Series for the Pirates. And over the course of the series, he he slashed uh, 414. I don't have a slash. He hit 414 with 12 hits and 29 at bats, and performed well defensively and hit a solo shot in the deciding 2-1-7 game victory. He received. He also received the World uh, Series MVP award. Yeah, I mean he. You know, the 60 series, he did good. The 71 was when he really shined. And, of course, also in that 71 season, I think it was September 1st, 1971, he was part of the Pittsburgh Pirates' all-black starting lineup. They, they Denny Murtaugh, who managed the Pirates then, put out nine black players, you know, on the field. And I remember watching the Doc Ellis documentary who was a pitcher of the Pirates then. Notable LSD user as well. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I, they, I don't think it was Doc, but maybe they asked like Al Oliver or one of the Pirates on the team, one of the Black Pirates. They mentioned one of the Bat Boys for the Pirates saying, man, it looks like there's the Homestead Grays out there tonight. And the player was like, what are you talking about? And like, well, there's nine Black players on the field in the starting lineup. Oh, you know. So him, you know, you got Clemente, you got Willie Stargell, you know, you got Doc Ellis on the mound, you got Al Oliver, uh, Bill Madlock, you know, Manny Sanguian, you know, guys like that. You know, for I think the first couple of innings, they were they were all all nine guys on the field were black, whether it be African American or you know Hispanic American or Hispanic black, you know, like Clemente. So that was just a interesting cool moment in major league baseball history at free river stadium back in 71 so well Clemente just dominated like you know i mean he just dominated that 71 season that 71 world series he was just you know he willed the pirates to win that world series against the heavily favored orioles who had 20 i'm sorry four 20 game pitcher winning pitchers on the team you know he just he just he kicked butt 71 was his year man uh, he was on fire and then we come to, you know, the 1972 season, which unfortunately would be his last season. And he was struggling with injuries, and he was frustrated. He only played in 102 games that season. And he hit 312, which is good. He's, he, and he made, um, he made the All-Star team for the 12th time, and he won his 12th consecutive gold glove, you know. And, of course, the big moment on September 30th, 1972, he hit a double in the fourth inning off New York Mets pitcher John Matlack at Three River Stadium to collect his 3,000 career hit. And it was his last regular season of bat of his career. And, um, you know, 
it was a big moment. I think at the time he was only like one of 11 players to get the 3,000. And just, uh, you know, he is he is the only player to have exactly 3,000 career hits. You know, once you make that 3,000 hit club, you've tied Roberto Clemente. But, and of course, the Pirates made the playoffs again in 72. They won the NL East, but they lost to the Reds. You know, the big red machine. But also, playing in right field that day, or it, playing right field in one more regular season game on October 3rd, Clemente tied Honus Wagner's record for games played as a Pittsburgh Pirate, 2,433 games played. And he only batted like 235 in the playoffs that they lost to the Reds. And of course, that was also Bill Mazeroski's last year as a player. And they were the last remaining Pirates players for that 60 World Series team. But man, you know, I mean, just, you know, what a way to go out, you know, at least in your, your playing career. Right. Um, his playing career gets squashed over a lot due to his humanitarian work also. A lot of people don't realize he was truly the stud that he was, you know? Yeah. And just, you know, so, and then you were going to off-season 72, the South American country of Nicaragua. No, not South American, Central American country. You know what I mean? They got hit by an earthquake in December 23rd, 1972. And, you know, Clemente immediately set out work to arranging emergency relief flights. Yeah, he was there three weeks before. Yeah. Um, and he realized that the aid packages on the first three flights were diverted by corrupt officials of the, of the government, and the victims didn't receive them. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get on this next flight to make sure that they're going to get there because I can't trust these guys not getting the... the, the I can't trust the government not giving the aid to the victims. And so they chartered a flight on New Year's Eve 72, a Douglas D7, DC-7 cargo plane, which unfortunately had a history of mechanical problems. It also had an insufficient number of flight personnel, which they were missing a flight engineer and a co-pilot. And it was overloaded. And, um, yeah, it crashed in the Atlantic Ocean like immediately after takeoff because of engine failure. And there was a search and rescue mission you know, and, but they, you know, and like Manny Sanguian was, you know, another native, uh, a teammate of Clemente's and another Puerto Rican, you know, he tried to, you know, along with the search team, he tried to dive in the waters to try to find Clemente, Clemente's mm-hmm. body, but unfortunately Clemente's body and three others in the plane were never found. Yeah. Um, wow. A part of the fuselage of the plane were found in the, Empty flight case, which apparently belonged to Clemente, was the only personal item of his, which was recovered by the plane. They uh, were found a few days later. Yeah. Um, that's, that's tough. And then Montreal, that's what's pictured Tom Walker, then playing winter league ball in Puerto Rico, which is the league now named after Clemente, um, helped him load the plane because Clemente wanted Walker, who was single, to go and enjoy New Year's. Clemente told him not to join him on the flight. Yeah. And um, I've seen uh, interviews with that guy. He has a lot of survivor skills about that. Yeah. And not only that, his Tom Walker's son, Neil, later played Major League Baseball for the Pirates and other teams from 2009 to 2020. And Neil was born in 1985. And so 
and I've seen on I've seen a video on YouTube. I have to go find it, but like it talks about Tom and Neil and their connection to Roberto Clemente. Because Roberto Clemente told Tom Walker not to get on that plane with him and go celebrate New Year's. You know, Neil Walker, the Tom's son, has Roberto Clemente to thank mm-hmm. for him being be existing. Yeah, so, let alone playing baseball, just existing. Yeah, so he has he, he's forever indebted to Roberto Clemente because of that. You know, I'm in 2002 ESPN documentary series uh, Sports Injury. Um, Clemente's widow Vera mentioned that Clemente had told her that he thought he was going to die young several times. And indeed, while he was being asked when he would get his 3,000 per hit by broadcaster and future fellow Hall of Famer Richie Ashburn in July of 71 during the All-Star Game activities, the response was, well, uh, you never know. I, uh, I, uh, if I'm alive, like I said before, you never know because God tells you how long you're going to be here, so you never know what can happen tomorrow. Clemente's older, brother, older stepbrother, Luis, died on December 31st, 1954, exactly 18 years before Clemente himself, and his stepsister died a few years later. At the time of his death, he had established several records with the Pirates, including most triples in the game and hits in two consecutive games with 10. He won 12 gold gloves and shares the record of most won among outfielders with Willie Mays. Yeah. On July 25, 1986, in a 9-8 Pittsburgh win against the Chicago Cubs, Clemente hit the only walk-off inside the park grand slam in the baseball history, which we talked which about talk, briefly yeah. earlier. But here's um, the Hall of Fame. This, yeah. You want to talk? Yeah. Um, on March 20th, 1973, the Baseball Writers Association of America held a special election for the Baseball Hall of Fame. They voted to waive the waiting period for Clemente due to the, due to the circumstances of his death and posthumously elected to give elected him for induction to the Hall of Fame, giving him 393 out of 420 available votes for 92.7%. Yeah. Um, his plaque originally had his name as Roberto Walker Clemente instead of the proper Spanish format, Roberto Clemente Walker. It was recast in 2000 to correct the error. Both plaques are currently on display in the Hall of Fame. The new one in the plaque gallery and the original in the St. Lot Kids Clubhouse area. I can confirm that. Yeah. But just, you know, the man, I, the, 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 Hall, the, the Writers Association did the right thing by waiving the rule and electing him like right away. Because, you know, how many other players are just going to go on a plane and try to give aid to a struggling country struggling with Recovering from earthquakes or some natural disaster. Yeah, it's a humanitarian. Yeah. But he just, you know, the achievements are just all over the place. You know, MVP 1966, player of the month for three different months, World Series MVP, 12 gold gloves, the Commissioner's Historic Achievement Award in 2006, you know, all-star, four-time bang champ, led the league in hits two times, led the league triples once. Led the league playoffs three times, uh, led the NL fielding average in his last season as a as a player. I mean, just <laughs> <coughs> this guy, you know, he received numerous awards, recognitions, honors after his death. Dozens of schools, streets, bridges, public parks, buildings, and sports venues have been named in his honor. He apparently Clemente is the athlete with the most statues and monuments dedicated in the world with more than a dozen several countries. Man had an impact outside of the U.S. and Puerto Rico. 2012, the Puerto Rican Professional Baseball League, the, the, we just mentioned this, was renamed Liga de Baseball Profesional Roberto Clemente. The number 21 was also permanently retired in that league. He has been inducted into several Hall of Fames for his performance in humanitarian work and, his, and also for his humanitarian 
as part of the World Sports Humanitarian Hall. And he's been subject to several documentaries and books and other media. Like, so many people have written biographies about him. Like, uh, one of the guy, one of the people that works in the Baseball Hall of Fame, Bruce Markison, he works in the Education Department of the Hall of Fame. He wrote a biography about Clemente a few years ago. And there's countless, countless biographies around Governor, the government of Puerto Rico recognizes him as a national hero, or in their terms, a proser. And he has received the Congressional Gold Medal, the Presidential, Presidential Citizen Medal, and Presidential Medal of Freedom from the federal government of the U.S., I guess posthumously. And an initiative to have him canonized by the Catholic Church took place in the 2010s. And also the Hartford Yard Goats of the Eastern League, minor league team of the Eastern League, they retired the vertical with his number two because Hartford has a good number, has, has a good Hispanic population out right. there. And so, then um, 2002, 50 years since his passing, MLB proclaimed September 15th every year as Roberto Clemente Day. Yeah, which is also the start of Hispanic Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Major League Baseball since 1971 has presented the Roberto Clemente Award, named the Commissioner's Award in 71 and 72. Every year to a player with outstanding baseball playing skills who is personally involved in community work, um, a trophy and a donation check for a charity of the player's choice are presented annually at the World Series. Yeah. A panel of three makes the determination of the award recipient from an annual list of selected players. Um, let's see who some of the notable guys that have won that are that we would know. Uh, Willie Mays in 71, Don Baylor in 85, uh, 1992, Kyle Ricken Jr., yeah. Tony Gwynn in 99, uh, Wakefield in 2010, 2016 Curtis Granderson. Mm-hmm. Um, Last year was Nelson Cruz. Yep. Uh, Pujols has won it before. Big yeah. Poppy's won it. Adam Wainwright. Clayton um, Kershaw. 2014 Paul Konerko and Jimmy Rollins both won the award. There you go. Um, Yachty's won it. So, Jim Tomey, Kurt Schilling, Al Leiter, Sosa, Dale Murphy, Gary Carter. There's a yep. Harold uh, Reynolds, Harry Pocket. Yeah. Uh, long list of major leaguers, Derek Jeter, but yeah, it's but, a good legacy for him to have behind, yeah. especially for his humanitarian works. Absolutely, I mean the man is still remembered today, and he'll probably be remembered for generations to come. Now, I wish I could remember this. I read an article years ago, and I wish I could remember what the article was or who, would, but it was about Clemente, and it was in '72, and this guy. Maybe it was camera day or something, but there was some kind of promotion. And this this fan and his like little kids wanted to go on the, on Free River Stadium's field before the game and take a picture with Clemente. And the guy, the the dad, was talking to the security guard at Free Rivers, trying to convince him to get on the field and take a picture with Clemente. Mm-hmm. And the security guard says, "Okay." Well, you need to talk to the general manager of the team. I think it was John Y. Brown at the time, the son of the uh, actor-comedian Joe E. Brown. And so, or maybe it was the owner. Either way, what somebody from the office, someone from the front office, this guy had to call the guy from the front office to try to convince him to get on, to go on the field, take a picture of Clemente with his kids. The guy in the front office on the other end of the phone said no. They hang up the phone. Uh, the, the dad hangs up the phone with the guy in the front office. The security guy asks, what did the guy from the front office say? And the dad said, he said, we can go on the field. He just lied about it. 
And so they went on the field, and they, you know, the dad took the picture of Clemente with his two young children at the time. I wish I could remember the name of the article or where it was or where where I found it, but it was a really unique story, and Clemente was totally okay with it. <laughs> you know, I wish I, I I'm sorry, I wish I, I can't remember much details. Seems about like the that. kind of guy that would have taken pictures of every kid if he had the time. You know. Yeah, and at that at that that day he had the time. You know, so it was it's a nice little story. You know, just. My personal experience of Clemente, you know, remembering something about Clemente. And just, you know, he was just, like I said, he's just a great player, man. The dude was an inspiration and still is an inspiration to many players and even humanitarians. I mean, just, you know, just great guy, man. I mean, you know, just a great guy. Here's a good quote from uh, Bowie Kuhn, whose name we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave the term complete a new meaning. He made the word superstar seem inadequate. He had about him the touch of royalty. Mm-hmm. Just the way he carried himself and the way he played the game. And he just, it just, he had, he had this air about him, you know. And he did things with such grace and just, you know. I don't know what to say, man. He just, he was awesome. And, you know, sometimes you just, it's kind of like, you know, it's like the Leonard Skinner plane crash, you know. They, they had an Troubles too, a history of injury troubles with that one. It's like you wish you could, you wish there was like a better plane that Clemente could have used at the time, but that was the only one he could have used. And well, he just yeah, he went down the ship. Or he was aware of a lot of problems it had, and he's like, no, we have to get this there, right? You know, and he didn't put others before himself. Yeah, and that's what he did, and that's what he did best. And so you know, just a great guy, you know. Uh, utmost respect for him for sure. You know, what? And he's one of those Hall of Famers that you know, that you know more well of than certain Hall of Famers. Because there's some people in the Hall that most people are like, who's this guy? You know, but Clemente's not one of those guys. He's just one of the best. You know. So, do you have anything else to add about Roberto? No, I think we pretty much covered everything there is. Yeah, I, w- I want to say something non-Roberto related. If you will indulge me. So on October 16th, I went down to Rickwood Field and there was a home run derby at Rickwood Field that featured four former Major League Baseball players, most notably Andrew Jones of the Braves, um, Desmond Jennings, who played for the Tampa Bay Rays and he's a native of Pinson, Alabama. Yeah, this local Birmingham kid down around Rickwood. Yeah. He's got a baseball academy down there now on yeah. uh, Pinson Parkway. Yep. Brandon Moss and Seth Smith, who I they they both played about ten years in leagues, but I never I never I really, to say Moss was a A for a minute. Yeah, and I think Smith was a Rocky. Or maybe one it, it, yeah. But either way, so these guys there there were six players. Four of them were former major league players, and two of them were local college guys. One guy named Ian Hancock from Birmingham Southern College, which if you don't know that's a division three school. And the other guy named Michael Archie II, which was a player from Miles College, which is an HBCU school, Division II. They played this home run derby at Rickwood Field, you know, and they played like three rounds. Ian Hancock of Birmingham Southern won the home run derby. He beat out four major leaguers and his fellow college guy. And, you know, it... Andrew Jones, he hit six home runs. He didn't get out of the first round. But Ian Hancock, he's the first guy. I remember too. He's still past his prime. Yeah, he's yeah, he's in his forties. You know, he, he really declined after the Bra- after he left the Braves. 
But um, it's hard to think about him just being in his forties because he came up so young. Yeah, it's just so. Right. And Ian Hancock set the tone that first round. He was the first batter in the first round. He hit eleven in the first round. He led every, swinging wood. He was no. He had I think what swinging wood. Yeah. Or maybe, or maybe I don't even remember, dude. <laughs> That's irrelevant. Yeah, but he hit 11 and then to lead everybody in the first round, and then he hit a bunch more in the second, and then he's in the finals against Seth Smith, and Ian beat him out 4-3. to three. The way the rounds were, like you had like four minutes in the first and second round and then three minutes into the championship round to hit as many home runs as you can. And Seth beat him 4 Oh, Seth, I'm sorry. Ian beat him 4-3. to three. And, you know, a majority of Ian's home runs, he was a left-handed hitter, so a majority of his home runs were, like, right field. And there's, like, a – Rick needs to fix their billboards. There's a big open space in the billboards where a billboard used to be. In, in, and Ian hit most of his home runs through that, that hole in right field, you know. And it was great. You know, it was fun. And I got to see my friend and Alabama baseball – Alabama assistant baseball coach Hunter Morris there. So that was good to see him talk for a while. Mm-hmm. It was just good. It was a good day for baseball for me. You know. Glad you enjoyed that. I'm just going to try and make it up there, man. Our weekend just got away from us. I couldn't pull it off. Things happen, man. Yep. But that's all I have to say, you know, other than not calling to you later. Okay, anything else? We'd be good here. I think we're good, yeah. All right, guys. We'll see you all next time, man. Um, make sure you like, rate, and subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Um, as always, if you have any topics you want to talk about, Baseball HIS101 at gmail.com. Um, that's been pretty much dry here lately. Nothing from any of y'all. So we've been getting spam emails. That sucks, man. The oil's be spam. Yeah, I've been getting um that just junk email. Yeah. Um Ian, suggest something again. <laughs> but uh until next time, guys. I'm Patrick DeVault. And I'm Matthew Carter. And y'all have a good one. You too. <laughs>
it's the 80s and bread is the greatest and Bobby Bonds can play for everyone. Rose is at the vet, Rusty again is a Met, and the great Alexander is pitching again in Washington. I'm talking baseball, like Reggie Quees and Barry, talking baseball, Carew and Gaylord Terry, Seaver, Garvey, Schmidt, and by the blue. If Cooperstown is calling, it's no fluke, they'll be with Talking with 